All right, um, got, got your Bibles? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 3 today. I said last week via video uh, that we would be picking up the pace a little bit. So instead of spending two or three weeks in one chapter, we're going to cover one chapter in one message today. And that being said, this message uh, hits on so many points that I wish I had like four weeks just to break apart this chapter I don't have four weeks, and so I want to keep the flow going. Uh, that being said, it's going to be, uh, this is honestly just a lot of conversation starters that you guys can have, or if you want to dive into it uh, and, and just kind of keep studying and keep reading. There's so much in Matthew chapter 3 uh, and in Matthew chapter 4, and really this week and next week are kind of like one big sermon coupled together, and so I'm, I'm excited about it. But Leonard Ravenhill says this. He says, there are three persons living in each of us. The one we think we are, the one other people think we are, and the one who God knows we are. The one God knows who we are. The first one is the one that we perceive uh, who we are, the what we think about ourselves. And maybe that could be that you're really good at something or you're confident uh, with your job or that you feel like you're a very intelligent person. At the same time, it could also be like, man, I feel really insecure about this or insecure about that or I'm scared of X, Y, and Z. It's, it's what we view about ourselves, our own perception. The second is what other people perceive or what they think or view about us. And so what I love about other people is many times other people can point out strengths that you have that you don't see in yourself because of your own insecurities. And so someone comes up to you like, Michael, you're really good at this. And she's like, man, I thought I did horrible. I'm like, I think I stink at this. And like, no, 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 you're really good at this. And they can come alongside you and they can encourage you. On the flip side, though, people often see your weaknesses greater than you see them yourself. Have you ever come up to someone and you just want to, like, grab them by the shoulders and gently shake them and be like, hey, man, Open up your eyes. You're being a moron. You're making a dumb decision. Have you ever wanted to do that to someone? A few of you, parents, like, it's like, yeah. And, and so you want to shake them, and then they're like, no, I just don't see what you're talking about. Well, that's because you're looking through the lens of your own self instead of getting advice or wisdom from other people and allowing other people to speak into your life. And then the third one is ultimately who we really are. It's who God sees us as that maybe we haven't had a complete revelation about in our own lives. Now, I'm bringing this quote up by Leonard Ravenhill uh, because as we dive into the message today, I want you to kind of keep those three perspectives about yourself uh, in mind as we dive into, the, into this and allow the Holy Spirit really just to uh, speak to you through this. And so Matthew chapter 3, starting in verses 1 through 6, and I'm going to do my best to Stay on time so y'all pray for me. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness. If you're highlighting or taking notes, you'll want to underline wilderness. And then he says, Prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. 
Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Today I want to talk to you about five things that the gospel does in our hearts, or about five things that we can see in the gospel. And what I think is interesting is John is what I would consider a crazy dude. Okay, how many of you, and don't raise your hand, but how many of you have been driving down Central Ave or you've, um, maybe you've been walking around in the park and you, you just see a homeless person and they're just, you know, they're just shouting at the top of their lungs. Or if you go down to New York City and you're walking in Central Park or Times Square, you've got those people that they just look all ragged and they're yelling at the top of their lungs and they're like, repent, the end is near, repent, God's judgment is coming down. That's kind of the picture of what John is. Like if we saw him today, he wore camel hair, he had a belt, which I think it's interesting that Matthew, you know, he's like, he has a brown belt around his waist. I don't know why he put that in there, but he wanted the reader to know that. And he eats locusts and wild honey. Like, home dude is not crazy, but he looks crazy. He seems crazy, right? We would look at John, and we would probably have some preconceived thoughts about who he actually was. But John was actually the cousin of Jesus, and John was the very person that God was going to use to prepare the way for the coming Messiah to announce, so to speak, or to herald the gospel about what is happening and what is taking place. And what his whole theme was, is his, his whole theme that he was preaching was he was calling people to a place of repentance and holiness, of repentance and holiness. And, and let me read Mark real quick. Um, Mark chapter 1. And we're actually going to look at all four of the different Gospels today because all four of them are telling the exact same story just from different perspectives. But it says, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of your sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Verse 6, now John was clothed in camel hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. I'm just assuming that it was brown. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Something that I thought was interesting and I think is extremely interesting is, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ starts with repentance. Catch that in Mark. It says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God, John. And what is it that John is preaching? He's preaching that the gospel starts with repentance. The gospel starts with repentance. Following Jesus starts with repentance in our hearts. 
And so here you have the gospel of Jesus, and before Jesus ever got up and he preached a sermon, before he ever healed anyone, before he ever raised the dead, before he ever pulled gold coins out of a fish's mouth, before he ever multiplied the bread and the fishes, before he did any of that, Jesus starts his gospel with pointing to John, calling people to a place of repentance. Like, and I think sometimes we think of repentance as it is this, this bad word, right? Like maybe the mindset that you have or the picture that you have is like, oh, I need to go repent and confess my sins to the Lord. So you're going to go to this priest and you're going to sit in this box and you're going to say, you know, priest, I did X, Y, and Z and I, I lied about my math test and, and, and I cheated on this and... Um, I think I'm a bad person, you know, and, and then the priest turns to you and says, you know, say three Hail Marys and you shall be forgiven, my son or my daughter. However it works, I've never been in the confession box, all right, just saying that for the record, I've, I've never done that. But repentance is actually a good thing. And might I even say that it needs to be a daily habit in the life of a believer. It needs to be something that we go to daily. And, and, and I'm not talking about like, you know, you're falling on the ground and you're just like, oh God, I'm a horrible, wicked person. I'm just, but I'm talking about getting to that place of being poor in your spirit and recognizing that you need Jesus Christ because you can't do it. You need Jesus Christ to speak to your heart, to encourage you, to motivate, to give you the power and the strength to be able to walk in this life without sin which I believe God can empower you to do. Are you going to sin? Probably. You're probably going to sin today. Some of you have already sinned today on the way to church with your kids. Some of you all laughing under your breath. It's like, Michael, were you in my car? Be quiet back there. My kids were actually really good today. I just want to give them a big shout out. Um, but they were, they were really good. So what is Repentance. If repentance is supposed to be something that we do daily, what is it? And this is what the Gospel Coalition says. It says, true Christian repentance involves a heartfelt conviction of sin, a contrition over the offense to God, a turning away from the sinful way of life and turning towards God honoring a God-honoring way of life. This is something that I want to say about repentance for, for just a moment, all right? The person who willfully sins and feels no remorse is in danger. I want you to hear me out. If you can willfully sin and you feel no remorse about what it is that you are doing that you know is wrong, then you are in danger. Like, and I want you to, like, maybe some of you guys, like, Michael, I don't willfully sin. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that are like, hey, I'm going to look at pornography at this time right now. Or, hey, I know that I can cheat on my taxes and get away with it. Go see Hector, all right? Not that he's going to help you cheat on your taxes. Wow, that came out really bad. Let's just delete that. Um, but if you need a good CPA, go see Hector, okay? All right, and he will not cheat on your taxes. 
But like, willfully, I know I'm going to sin, and I just don't care. And you feel no remorse. You feel no conviction about it. Your soul is in danger. But when you do sin, if you feel conviction, if you feel remorse, if you feel sorrow, might I say that that is a good thing because the Holy Spirit is still alive, the Holy Spirit is still active, and the Holy Spirit is still drawing on your heart. And so repentance is something that often we see is bad, but God wants to use it as something that is good. Something that is good that's going to get us to a place of saying, God, I screwed up and I need you. I need you. The the second thing that we see that God, that, that John is talking about right here is that the gospel, catch this, the gospel begins in the wilderness. It wasn't in Jerusalem that John was preaching this message. It wasn't in Galilee or in Capernaum that John was preaching this message. Where was he? He was in the desert of Judea. He was in the wilderness, and he was preaching to people, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, the time is now to repent. It is oftentimes in our life, in the wilderness season, that God gets the most work done in our hearts. And, and many times, like, I, I don't think that we want to be in that wilderness season. But might I even say sometimes it's the Spirit of God that will draw us into a wilderness season. More on that next week. But it's in those wilderness seasons that God can usually grab a hold of the hearts of men and women and get more done in that place of desperation, that place of crying out than he can in the mountaintops of our life. I want you to think about any transition you've been through. Think about maybe you've transitioned out of a job or transitioned, maybe you're new to the Albany area, or maybe you're having a transition in relationships or with schooling. More often than not, when you transition from one season of life to another season, it is accompanied with a wilderness season. Maybe it's a wilderness season of being lonely, of not knowing people. Maybe it's a wilderness season of facing a lot of financial uncertainty and saying, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Or, or maybe it's a wilderness season of uh, feeling rejected and abandoned and betrayed and you're having to trust and rely on who God is and his character and his nature. It is in those moments, whenever we are in those wilderness season, that God will speak the most. I remember whenever my father was sick, and, and he was in the hospital at Emory University down in Atlanta, Georgia, and um, I was talking to my buddy Byron on the phone, and, and I was just like, Byron, I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I feel like my marriage is struggling. The church is falling apart. My dad is in ICU right now. He's dying, and I'm just stressed out. And I got off the phone with him, and I sat in the parking garage just weeping and just praying. And I heard the still, small voice of God say, be still and know that I am God. And at that moment, in that wilderness season, in a season that felt barren and abandoned, and like I was deserted and everything was falling apart, God stepped in and spoke. And gave me the strength and the comfort that I needed to get through what it was that he was allowing me to walk through in that time. The gospel starts with repentance. And the gospel starts in a wilderness season. If you think about your own salvation experience. For those that have embraced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Did it happen whenever everything was going great in your life? 
Probably not. It probably happened whenever you were broken, whenever you were rejected, whenever you were hurt, whenever you were barren, whenever you were experiencing loss. And you got to this place of, as Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, in two weeks we'll dive into, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Whenever we become poor in our spirit, we recognize our need for a Savior. We recognize our need for Jesus in our lives. That's whenever he steps in, in the wilderness season. He continues on in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. He says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to rise up children from Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of this tree. The tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Amen. I want to talk to Christians for a moment. And so if you're a Christian in here, I'm talking to you. If you're not a Christian, I'm not talking to you. And you can just hear me get a little preachy for just a moment and a little fired up um, about this. Okay. This is a rebuke that John is giving to the church. And, and see, it wasn't the, the church, the Christian church at the time. It was people who were the leaders in the temple, the religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and those people that were really good at keeping the law. And John went up to them and catch this, guys, and he said, you brood of vipers. Like, you're missing the point. You're missing the point of what the gospel is about. You're missing the point of what the scripture is all about. See, the Pharisees were really, really, really good at keeping traditions and keeping rules. And in the middle of them keeping traditions and rules, they forgot about relationship. They forgot about what it meant to have a growing relationship with our Heavenly Father. They forgot what it meant to be um, people that loved one another, that had relationship with the outcasts, that had relationship with other people. And they were so focused on getting it right. Jesus even says, you're so focused on getting it right that you tithe, mint, and deal. Like, you're so specific. It, it, it's like, let me, let me get so practical in my life and, and, and specific in my life that I'm not going to break one of these commands because if I break one of these commands, then I'm going to burn in hell and damnation's coming and, and the world is ending and all this, right? And, and, and in the middle of that, they missed the grace of God. Hosea 6.6, 6, Hosea cries out and he says, God desires mercy over sacrifice. God desires relationship over sacrifice. God desires for us to be one with him over whatever we can do to try to obtain something from him. Now, let me put this in a very practical sense for us nowadays. See, a lot of us are focused on our works for Jesus instead of focusing on Jesus himself. A lot of us focus on what we can do on behalf of Jesus instead of actually knowing Jesus himself. And, and, and might I even say a lot of us are sitting here from a place where we're running after pursuing the works to try to earn love from Jesus instead of knowing love himself. 
And this is what the Pharisees were experiencing. It is important for us to understand that not only does the gospel start with repentance and the gospel starts in the wilderness, the gospel is all about Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus and him desiring and longing to have a relationship with me and with you and with this church community. That way we can be transformed and changed and leave here a little different, a little bit more like Jesus than when we came in. Church, your good works do not make you righteous. I, I find it interesting, and, and I'm not going to single anybody out, but I have, I'm getting more involved into the community that I live in and meeting a lot of people. And it's always interesting because they find out that I'm a pastor, and, and it's, I'm telling you, some of these guys, they cuss like sailors. Like, I didn't even know sailors had a language like that, okay? Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's just like, I don't know, you know, anyways. But then they find out that I'm a pastor, and then it's, then it's that awkward moment of just like, oh, he's a pastor. I'm like, bro, you've been cussing the whole time. Just keep cussing. It's not going to face me. It's not going to bother me, right? But then they start talking about their good deeds and how their good deeds gets them to heaven. You ever heard that? Let me put it this way. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I, I'm just going to be kind to everyone. I'm a good person, and, and I'm, you know, that's going to be enough to get me in heaven. <laughs> no, it's not. Because you're wicked, you're busted up, you're broken, and you're sinful. Only Jesus is good. Only Jesus is perfect. And only Jesus can get you into heaven. And so for us that are sitting here, we're saying, I, I, I try to be a good person. What's your definition of good? Your neighbor? I'm going to be a better person than my neighbor. I'm going to be a better person than the person I know at work, I'm going to treat them with more kindness than that person over there. All you're doing is you're taking your moral standard and you're placing it on somebody else instead of looking at God's perfect and holy standard, which none of us can obtain, but all of us can receive through faith, by grace, in the cross and in the blood of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. All of it is about Jesus. He continues on in verses 11 and 12. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in the hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Um, something that you see in the gospel is that the gospel points to baptism. The gospel points to baptism. And this is something that I want to talk about for, for just a moment because I think oftentimes this can be very confusing, and I'm going to give you kind of my interpretation of it, and I'm going to just encourage you to take this and to go study and to go dive into the Word uh, on your own and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you through His Word. Uh, I believe that we see three different types of baptisms in the New Testament. 
The first thing that we see is water baptism or a baptism of repentance, right? And we believe that upon salvation, our first command, our first ask with following Jesus is to be baptized in water. And all that does is that shows symbolically that we are putting our our old man to death going into the waters of baptism, and we are being raised to new life in Christ. And with that, I believe that every believer, every person who professes Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, has the infilling or the dwelling of the Holy Spirit living inside of them. But I also believe that there is a second baptism called baptism of the Holy Spirit. And baptism of the Holy Spirit, I just want to give you a few passages of Scripture just so you I say a few, I only have one written down here, but I can send you a few. But in Acts chapter 8, verses 14 to 17, uh, you see that one of the apostles comes up and the, the men and women that he was preaching to had already experienced water baptism, but they had not been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so he lays his hands on them and he prays for them and they are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And what baptism of the Holy Spirit brings to our lives is an activation of power inside of us. Acts chapter 1, 8, and you will receive power. You will receive power and be my witnesses. We don't receive power from anybody else except for the Holy Spirit. Even in John chapter 17, Jesus says, it's better for me to leave so that I can send my advocate for you, the Holy Spirit. So it's important that we have the Holy Spirit. And then the third thing that we see is a baptism of fire. Now, just so you know, Two of the four Gospels in John's accounts um, kind of couple Holy Spirit baptism and fire baptism kind of in the same. One, one omits it, but then two of them, it's very distinguished. But you can dive into this even more, and you can look all throughout the New Testament that there is a baptism of fire. First Peter talks about this, I believe it's chapter 2, about there being a baptism of fire that we will experience. And what that is, is us being tested and us being brought to places where life is crushing on us so that what God is doing inside of us will be raised up and come out. Think about refining gold. You heat the gold, the impurities come up, the goldsmith, whatever they are, they wipe off the impurities, they let it cool down, and then they repeat the process again. If you go through those hard seasons, those wilderness seasons, which we will talk about next week, you will see that you are being baptized by fire. And it's not fun. Anyone ever been, you've been through that hard season? Three of us, four of us, good. It's not fun. But a year later, you thank God that you had the opportunity to walk through it because of what God did and produced inside of your heart. And so we see that John is saying, I can just baptize you for the repentance of your sin, but he that is coming is going to baptize you, not just in water, but with his Holy Spirit and with fire so that you could be conformed into who God has called you ultimately to be. See, what John is doing is he's calling people to abandon religion and tradition and to embrace relationship. He continues on in verses 13 through 17 as we start to wrap this up. He says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Meaning like, 
why are you coming to me to be baptized? You're perfect. You're the son of God. But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. From this, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven that said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And so we see Jesus is baptized in water, and then the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descends upon him, and many theologians believe this is the baptism of the Spirit. We're going to talk more about this next week, all right? And so please come back. Wilderness, Holy Spirit, fire, all that stuff next week. And I'm telling you, my mind was just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's really, really cool. And I'm excited about that. But what I want to point out today is something that real estate agents say is key. Location, location, location. Location, location, location. And location is key right here. Matthew is primarily writing to a Jewish audience, and he's trying to convince, and he's trying to persuade the Jewish reader right here to know that Jesus really is king. And so Matthew is talking about this baptism that Jesus experienced in the Jordan. And I think that this is significance, and you guys bear with me for just a minute, but last week we talked about how Jesus went to Egypt, just like the Israelites were led into Egypt. And then in Egypt, he then traveled back, and he, he went back to Nazareth, right? Now we're seeing that Jesus is brought to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Now, what's significant about this is in Joshua chapter 4, Joshua leads the Israelites, the Hebrew people, over the Jordan River. And whenever they get done, God tells Joshua to take 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and to build a monument so that the people in the coming days will remember what the Lord has done. What we see here is that where, where they crossed over, and you can see this in John chapter 1, verses 28, um, in John chapter 1, verses 28, the place where they ended up crossing over literally means it, and, and this, is, this is, I love English, but it also frustrates me about English. Uh, these things took place in Bethany. We think of Bethany that like is near Jerusalem. This is a different Bethany. It's Bethania is actual the Hebrew pronunciation of this, and it is completely different. And the, the, the meaning of Bethania means for a family to cross over. And, and so we see in John 1, 28 that, that John gives an exact location of where this took place. And then you also see in Matthew chapter 3 and in Luke verses 3 through 8 that John says um, that these rocks will cry out. These rocks will cry out to him. And many theologians believe that where Jesus was being baptized is where the monument was built in Joshua chapter 4. And whenever John turns to the, these rocks, he's not pointing to like some rocks off in the sand. He's literally pointing to the rocks that are there as a monument of what God has done. And basically saying, hey, if you won't repent, if you won't cry out to God, these rocks, this stone monument that was built hundreds of years before, it will cry out. Now, I say that because that is significant. That is significant because in Egypt, Jesus went to Egypt, 
And what Jesus is doing right here is he's going to a place to be baptized. And what he's symbolizing right here is that Joshua was great and he led people into freedom. But I am even greater. I'm leading people into eternal freedom. And there is key. There is a huge, huge difference with that. And then God speaks from heaven. He says, this is my son whom I am pleased. This is my son whom I am pleased. Jesus never healed anyone at this point. Jesus never multiplied the breads and the loaves of or the, the loaves of bread and the fish. Jesus never raised anyone from the dead. He didn't even turn water into wine at this point. Like, come on, Jesus, who are you? And God spoke and said, This is my son whom I am well pleased. Church, hear me out with this. Your identity, who you are in 2024, does not come from what you do for God. If what you're trying to do is trying to gain some kind of favor and approval with God by serving him and just doing it unto the Lord, meanwhile, you are missing the identity that God has placed inside of you and the transformation that he's trying to do inside of you. You have missed the point of the gospel. Before Jesus ever lifted a finger, God looked at him and said, that's my, that's my boy. That's my boy. And I am pleased in him. I'm satisfied in him, and I love him. The gospel of Jesus should transform our heart. It should transform you and not transform you to this place of I'm going to do more for Jesus to try to gain his approval, but transform you in a sense of who you are in Christ. This, this, is, this is who I am in Christ. And, and God is pleased in me, in my sin, in my brokenness, in my failures, and all of that. All I have to do is embrace the grace of Jesus Christ and allow the blood of Jesus to wash over me. And God looks at you and says, this is Matthew, whom I am well pleased, or this is Tony, in whom I am well pleased, or this is Liz, or Mila, or Terry, in whom I am well pleased. Some of us, we just need to accept that. Some of us, our culture has spoken and said, you gotta work and you gotta bust your hump to be able to obtain something and get something. And we forget that our real identity doesn't lie in what we do or how much money we earn or the social status we have or how many followers we have on Instagram or TikTok. Our real identity, our real identity lies in the cross of Jesus, of us abiding in the vine, us being in Christ and Christ being in us. And that is enough. That is enough. Three types of people are three types of persons each of us have. The first is 
who we view ourselves as. The second, who others view ourselves as. And then the third, who God knows we are. What perspective are you living your life from today? What perspective? And, and, and hear me out. If you're living from a perspective of, of you, this is who I think I am, this is who I say I am, can I just say that maybe you need to, maybe you need to repent? Maybe you need to repent because you've got a lot of pride up in your way and you can't see clearly. Or, or maybe you have a lot of uh, ambition that's been wrongfully uh, placed in an area or placed on you that you need to, to repent of. Or maybe you're viewing your life through the lens of others. Like, this is what I'm trying to obtain. This is what I'm trying to get in my life and, and, and saying, I, I've got to keep up with the Joneses. No offense if your last name is Jones, but I've got I to keep up. I've got to make sure I have enough swag. I've got to make sure I have enough uh, uh, money in the bank account. I've got all the fancy things. And, and you're constantly in this trap of comparing yourself. You're constantly in this trap of just trying, I, I, if I just had this, and you know what happens when you have that? It's not enough. It's not enough, and you keep running and you keep chasing. You're like the hamster on the wheel that never ends. The story just keeps going on and on and on, my friends. You remember that? This is the song that never ends. Some of y'all are like, what is he talking about? It's all right. 70s and 80 babies, we know what we're talking about, all right? Hashtag 86. That's all I got to say, all right? Lamb chops, all right? Um, but we find ourselves on this constant will of trying to please other people or get the approval of other people. Like if your identity, if your view of yourself is anything other than that of Jesus Christ and what he views you as and what he sees you as, then we need to repent. We need to start this year off right and saying, God, I need you. God, I, I need your spirit. I, I need your love. I need your grace in my heart and in my life. And Father, I can't do this. And so God, I repent. And allow that place of repentance to bring you to a place of transformation where your identity is not predicated on anything you've done. Your identity and your self-worth is predicated on what he did for you, that free gift. Will you stand to your feet this morning? In order for you and I to truly understand who we really are, we have to get to that place of repentance. Oops. We have to get to that place of repentance and acknowledging who he is and my sin and my brokenness. And God, I need you. I'm going to pray and we're going to dim the lights in a minute. And man, if you just need to bring your burden, if you need to bring your sin, if you need to bring your jealousy, your pride to Jesus, I just want to encourage you to do that. Let 2024 be a year of saying, I'm going to see myself through the identity of Jesus Christ. I'm going to pursue righteousness and holy. I'm going to have a heart of repentance and saying, God, you are good and I need you. And because you are good, 
I get to have you. I get to seek you. I get to run after you. And so if that's you today, I just want to invite you to come forward as we worship, as we sing, as we pray. Father, I thank you, God, for your grace. God, I thank you for your love. God, I thank you that you see us for who we truly are as children of God. And Lord, it is so easy for us to get so enslaved and entangled in our own sin and in our own pride and arrogance, God. Father, I just ask that right now, Lord, that there would be a spirit of conviction that falls in this place, God. Conviction not out of shame, but conviction out of repentance. Conviction that leads to transformation. Conviction that leads to you doing something in our heart, God. Taking the heart of stone that we may have, the pride and the bitterness that we may have inside, the arrogance that we may have inside, the sin that we've been so entangled in, and replacing it with a heart of flesh, a heart that is passionate for you, a heart that is on fire for you, God. Father, I ask that right now, God, your Holy Spirit would speak, would move, would bring conviction, would bring us to a place of repentance, would bring us to a place of understanding our need for you. For blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they shall see God. Father, we want you. We need you. It's the Holy Spirit I just ask right now. God, you would speak to our hearts. That we would lay it down. God, that I would lay it down. As we worship, if, if you want to come up here to the altar, we would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. Our prayer team would. But let's just create this opportunity for the next five minutes or so just to, God, you are good and we need you. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name.